everyone. Today, I bring you two amazing people involved in a powerful story, a story that needs to be told, where human trafficking has victims numbering in the hundreds of thousands. Sextortion affects tens of millions of teens and preteens. One in four kids are affected or know someone who is affected. The film is entitled Sextortion, The Hidden Pandemic, and will be released in Los Angeles on September 30th and global across North America and in countries around the world. TV on demand and digital platforms on October 4th. Welcome director Maria Peek and producer Stephen Peek the creators of the documentary film, Sextortion, The Hidden Pandemic. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. I tell you, I I tell you, I saw the film and like I tell all the filmmakers uh, that I interview, I don't look at the, you know, the synopsis, all that. I look at the title, I look at the uh, poster, and it drove me to see the film. I actually asked your publicist that I wanted to interview you because I think this story definitely needs to be told, especially uh, I have two granddaughters. Uh, you know, one's three and the other one's just one, but I'm looking out for their future. And um, what I want to know is what made you decide to embark on this amazing project? Because that's what it is. It's an amazing project. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for having us here today. We, um, Stephen got pitched this, uh, a different version of this film in 2019. Uh, we were supposed to follow an anti-human trafficking task force in Southern California. And then everybody knows what happened in March of 2020. You know, the world shut down and COVID hit. And we had to research the topic in detail and kind of came to conclusion that actually sextortion is much more prevalent than human trafficking, 1000% more prevalent. It's the fastest growing crime against children in the world and nobody knows about it. We had to stay on the East Coast during the production because of restrictions and travel and production. And we were looking for a case that would illustrate this crime on a granular level. And that's how Daniel Harris's case was brought to us. Department of Homeland Security and uh, Department of Justice disclosed the case files to us so we could tell this story on a granular level and blend the genres of through crime documentary and education. Uh, we definitely made this film with a thought of showing it to kids, showing it to parents, showing it to grandparents. So this would not happen to them, but not in a form of a lecture, but in a form of a very interesting twists and turns and bizarre case that, you know, more common than you think it is. Right, right. Now, how did you come up with the title? Because the title, and I'll tell you why in, in a second, uh, you're going to find this uh, probably kind of similar, um, but you can't, the poster was, to me, was a thing that I, I, I have to watch this film and the title too. It drew, you know, directly to the film. So uh, who came up with the name and how did you come up with the whole poster idea? 
Well, you know, I think we were we were had a whole bunch of different names we were thinking about it. And I think, you know, like Maria alluded to earlier, we you know, we didn't even know if sextortion was a thing two years ago. And and because of the last several years of, of working on this, we've realized that this is literally the fastest growing crime that nobody knows about. And so as we were thinking about a bunch of different ideas for titles, we realized that it's so such a little known crime that we actually need to make the title right on the nose, you know, and it just needs to be called the crime because that will help to raise the profile and, and help this to stop. And then of course, you know, the numbers, you know, there was a 97% increase in sextortion from 2019 to 2020, and then it's going up again. So we realized that in the midst of this pandemic, there's another pandemic that's hidden you know, uh, online. And because the kids are online for school and they're living on their phones, you know, the, the numbers, I mean, there's literally 80,000 reports every single day to the national center. Um, and, and nobody knows about it. So that's why we came up with a very on the nose title. Um, and then, um, I think Maria had the original idea of having the split face uh, for the poster, which I think is brilliant. And then our graphics team just did an incredible job of of making it very arresting, you know, to to make. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Now, in 2008, I met this gentleman and we became really good friends. And he was the executive producer and a showrunner to Law and Order Special Victims Unit. And he brought me on the show, and for there, I stayed four seasons following him around and learning how to run a television show. Um, and he gave me the background of how that show came to be. And he's a director. His name is Ted Kotcheff. Uh, He's a film director in Hollywood. And the only reason why he did the show was because he read the you know, district attorney files, real files about kids. And it was one file that he just cried, absolutely cried and said, I want to do this show. And the reason why is because he wanted people to know that stuff like this happens for real. This is real stuff, you know, coming from real files. I mean, you, you know, the whole program they changed the name the dates and all that just to uh you know protect the survivors uh, of the crime you know and the original name of the show was law and order sex crimes so he mm. said oh no 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 you can't have a show named sex crimes so that's where they came out with special victims unit you know and that name stuck for ever since because you know it it it, it it brings that topic, you know, and the questions of it. But then when I see your name, Sextortion, I, I wanted to know more because I'm like, what is this all about? So I got right into it watching your film. And I met these people, long-time music people, and they asked me, what's the difference between you when you were a kid and now? We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones and stuff like that. And I lived in a small town in Northville, New Jersey, you know, and we knew everybody. I walked to school and walked back by myself sometimes. I felt safe, you know, 
And I told them the difference is the internet. That internet brought the dark side of people. And that's what it did. You know, so I accommodate all of you people doing this because I tell you, um, there are a lot, you know, like Special Victims Unit is a show that has been teaching people, you know, and Mariska Hardate, who has a foundation called the Joyful, Joyful Foundation, which is basically covers uh, child abuse, women, domestic violence, women abuse, and so on, and so many other cases. And that show brought that. So your your, your documentary is going to open up doors for this for that particular field. How about education? What what what's the future for education to educate people, families about about this and the world? Because this is a pandemic that seems to be spreading to everyone. And that's scary. It's very scary. And that's the entire reason why we made this film. We are parents to now, you know, 11 and 14 year old girls. Back then they were nine and 12. So when we realized the extent of this happening uh, and then one of their friends from school was playing a Roblox game and wonderful family, wonderful parents, very involved. However, a stranger befriended her on the game and took her to a private chat room and showed her links to sites she should have never seen. And then she was been in counseling since and felt really guilty. And the child was victimized just through a, a very simple Roblox game that no one knew this could happen to her then. And that's kind of pushed us over the edge of making this film and making this film in a way that would be palpable to parents and kids. We had to clean up the files. We also had volumes and volumes of files from Department of Justice and um, the files are unbelievable actually. And we had to go through a lot to just keep it between PG and PG-13. So middle school and high school kids could see this, could be educated about this. Um, we also started a foundation of 501c3 spotlight documentaries that is making an impact campaign for this film that's making educational modules that will be used for, by um, law enforcement special agents and educators to start talking about this subject in schools. Uh, they do get invited to a lot of schools. However, these agents are working 24-7, they are overwhelmed, and they need something to have in hand that relates to children that will be based on the film. We already started working on this program um, that they can present to schools, that educators can present at schools. And kids can relate to short video snippets and Q&A much better than a lecture and a PowerPoint. So that's the thought behind educational campaign that's coming uh, as a result of this film. Also, Stephen and I right now on a 20 city educational tour, we're taking this film to different communities. A lot of our hosts are law enforcement and um, Homeland Security agents and local DAs and local PD that all wants to get this message out to the public. And we've been thanked by thousands of people. Thank you for making this movie. It's hard for us to explain this to the public, but now we can. They can just sit down, watch the film and understand what's really happening online. Yeah, you know, when I was in college, I studied aerospace engineering. So I was an aerospace engineer for many years and it was heartbreaking to learn that a Top Gun pilot, a pilot, an officer from the Navy was involved in, 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 in doing this. And I was just, I don't know. It, it, it just, 
it brought me to back to the world of reality that, you know, stuff like this is happening uh, and it's happening everywhere. I've heard stories. Um, people fly to another country mm -hmm. to, to do exactly that, to pick up, you know, young children and stuff like that. And it's, it just doesn't make sense to me, you know? Yeah. So Steven, what, what exactly um, do you think about like what Maria was saying about the education? Because I, I strongly believe that should be taught to maybe the parents yeah. get their uh, signature or something to have this in the classrooms. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're getting that question almost everywhere we go. So, you know, a couple of thoughts I had, you know, when we when we were trying to decide before we even made the movie, we were trying to look and see, you know, is there a new way for us to tell the story? Has it already been told? And I was really shocked to find 50 or so documentaries on human trafficking and nothing on this, right? So nothing on online enticement, nothing on sextortion. And as Maria said, it's 1000 times more prevalent than trafficking. Everybody knows about trafficking. Nobody knows about this, right? So I'm in Boston right now, and we've been, you know, all over the country touring the film. And every single night, I'm having a parent stand up and say, essentially, verbatim, thank you for making this movie. I had no idea. Uh, the other thing that I'm hearing almost every night is why is this not required in health class, you know, to view this movie. And so the, the work that we're doing right now, uh, we're kind of in a very much in a partner building mode. So we're working with the National Center, we're working with Homeland, and we're finding other partners as we go that are saying, we want to bring this into schools, we want to bring this into churches, we want to bring this into community groups. And so this 20 city tour is kind of the first ripple, you know, that that people parents and teens are finding out for the first time what a huge problem this is and then they're wanting to take it to their friends and the people in their circles and so we think that if that continues then this prevention is going to be the way that we start to make these numbers go down i mean do you agree that um kids under 18 years old because uh, they you know basically legal at the age of 18 uh, but uh, kids today are getting cell phones at five, six, seven years old. And um, it opens them up into the Internet. And I, I, I disagree on all that stuff. And I think that some of the privileges should be taken away in the sense like, what am I, what is my child? Uh, maybe censor their the internet for them that they can't get into it or um, they're being watched by the parents or so on uh, who they're speaking to or um, do you think that because uh, I know Apple has some kind of security uh, things for parents for the kids uh, uh, do you are you on top of that with, with this because I think that would solve a lot of issues if that was happening because, you know, kids these days say, Hey, we have rights too, you know, but technically I don't think so at that age because you're still living under the roof. Right. I mean, right. And we, yeah, And we also like talk a lot about development 
you know, child development and high executive function? And are they able to make decisions, fully informed decisions, you know, and they need to be given age appropriate things. Um, Apple does have a way of locking the phone down pretty severely, uh, but we compare it. If you give an open phone with an open profile uh, to a child, it's like sending them to a playground and they're surrounded by strange men watching them play. And you know, every 10th person watching them is a predator and you still send them to the playground. So it's definitely not advisable to give a five, six, seven year old phone and just keep their profile open. Statistically, it is true. If their profile is open on social media, every 10th follower they have is the predator, if not more. And that's just statistically. So we definitely believe that kids can be leaders in this space. They do know technology really well. They don't want to be victimized, but it's definitely up to a parent to decide at what point do they feel like they can open up this world to the child. And you can't just open the, you don't give the car keys to a seven-year-old and say, get yourself to the grocery store. You know, you can't do the same thing with the cell phone. I mean, uh, it would be equivalent of that. It would be as dangerous. I just don't think people understand how dangerous it is to give the seven-year-old a cell phone that's completely open to the public. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree because you know, when I was a child and, um, you know, when I was like eight, nine years old and I walked to school, like I said, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have all that. So um, I, I didn't feel threatened. Or, and, and then again, I knew we, we knew everybody in the town. The cops would come up to us. And then we were playing high school football. They would, they would come to us and say, hey, man, you got a game tonight you know, and uh, tomorrow morning and stuff, and you got to be home. And, you know, our coaches used to call our home on Friday nights to make sure we were home, period. If we weren't home, if we didn't answer that phone, we weren't playing the next day. That's how it was. Then, oh, all, wow. then all of a sudden, now we have the internet. <laughs> now we have cell phones. And then somewhere along the lines, we're not keeping tabs of what was lost a long time ago. And now, you know, they know where you are. They find you. And next thing you know, the kids disappear, they kidnapped and so on. And human trafficking, like you said, or abused. And, and it's horrible that this is happening. And I, I believe truly that your film is going to open up uh, different views and i think that how did you get everyone involved homeland security the fbi and so on to do this film because i you know i'm glad that they are involved because they should be involved but how did you get everybody together and how long was the process uh to make this film feel free to jump in anyone <laughs> Yeah, no, sorry. We we try to let each other talk sometimes to a fault. Um, yeah, so you know, like Maria said, you know, we we greenlit the film in the spring of 2020, and we were getting ready to go, and then of course everything goes sideways, and we we realized we needed to completely rethink how the film was going to be done. So we reached out to some friends in the U.S. Attorney's Office and said, "Hey, do you know anybody that works in this space? We're starting to understand that this extortion is a huge problem." And they connected us with the with the lead prosecutor, Elizabeth Yusey, and she was our first point of contact. And so we had a call with her and uh, she was the one that told us, you know, 
there's multiple folks that have have wanted to make this story because it's so fantastical with the Top Gun pilot and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but I think they understood that we were coming from it in a little bit different way um, because we're parents. And the reason we wanted to make this was to make sure that our kids were safe and their friends are safe and to use it as a tool to have, prevent it from happening, not to sensationalize it, not to make the diary of the serial killer part 47, you know, like that was never what we were trying to do. And so when we gained that first trust with her, then she introduced us to the next person who was the Commonwealth attorney, Wes Nance. And then we we spoke with him and then and then we got to Paul Wolpert from Homeland Security. And one by one, we, we just started, it was a period of a few months of having a lot of phone calls and, and Zooms and, and trying to tell them this is what we would like to do and just hearing their side of it. So we were essentially in development. We were in pre-production trying to learn what are the story beats and then when they were able to unseal the case for us, they started sending us thousands of pages of transcripts and government documents. And then we could see the scale and just completely got overwhelmed. You know, we call it drinking through a fire hose. You know, you're learning so much, your brain just hurts. But then that's Maria's amazing skill and talent is to take this massive amount of stuff and figure out where's the storyline. And so, uh, yeah, so it took a few months of gaining trust, but, um, you know, I think they thought we were the right ones to tell it. And it was definitely our honor to be able to work with all of these amazing heroes on the front lines. Right. Do you think the, the future to this is uh, maybe a docu a doc series? Um, do you see that like a television type doc series uh, uh, for educational purposes for people to learn uh, each time about it? Uh, you think that's a good idea to do? Yeah, we thought about it and yeah, we definitely um, hearing from different type of people that it happened to and every story has a different angle. You know, some of them are older boys, so 17 that happened to them. Some of them are um, indigenous population, even in Florida, um, Puerto Rico. I mean, there's so many different stories and different angles and kids usually relate to something that they hear from a peer instead of from a parent or a grandparent. So I think it would be a great idea. And we're definitely um, thinking about this. Yeah. I know, I know this was a very, very difficult uh, topic to shoot. What was the most difficult scene that you had to shoot? Probably the interview with Sam. I think by 20 minutes in, we were all in tears. Yeah. And had to stop the camera so many times just to cry. The attorney was there crying. The security agent was crying. I was crying. She was crying. Her mom was crying. Stephen was crying. I mean, it was it was very difficult emotionally to get through that, um, because you're hearing from somebody for the first time, first person account. Up until that point, it was COVID, and we weren't able to speak to victims or even. Um, on camera or film inside the courtrooms. We had to draw the courtrooms and then animate the drawings um, using our artists in Ukraine. Uh, so we had to reimagine how to tell the story with less tools because of COVID. And so when she was finally able to fly in and we were finally able to do that interview with her, it was just incredible and very emotional for all of us. Yeah, I believe that if uh, education in the schools uh, teach this stuff that 
the numbers will go down because I think uh, the kids today, you know, they, they, they don't know what's going on. And then when they hit with something like this, uh, they get scared and then they run to their parents, which they should, but a lot of them do it when it's too late. So I think up front, if they know that this situation could happen and it does happen, they will alert their parents in the very beginning, mm. you know? So, I, I mean, that's, that, that's why I, I think of it, you know, and you're right. I think it should be taught in schools and I hope that it is. And, you know, w what message do you both have for the parents or for the people watching this movie? What message do you have for them? I would say to any parent who is thinking about watching this film, please watch this film. I know we all want to keep our head in the sand and say, no, 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 not happening to me, not happening to my children. No, that doesn't happen in our states. Oh, it does. Unfortunately, it does. As many parents as, you, you know, Stephen said, stood up at our screening saying, thank you for letting me know. Most of the kids were showing um, text messages saying, this is happening to me. This is happening to my best friend. Uh, this happened to me and I never told anybody. So when parents think this is not happening, the kids know this is happening and right. they just don't know what to do about it. So I would say parents don't keep your head in the sand. It's not going to help anybody. Please watch the movie and educate yourself. Right. Well, thank you both for being on the show. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm directing everybody to watch this film. I'm going to send this to everyone that I could think well, of. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for letting us share this to the audience. And, you know, I guess the request I would have for your audience is just go to the film website, sextortionfilm.com. Uh, the film comes out on 10-4 uh, for a law enforcement film. 10-4 is about as easy to remember as possible. Uh, and uh, you can pre-order the film. We made it as inexpensive as iTunes would let us. It's only 10 bucks. And all the profits go to nonprofits that are working to keep our kids safe online. Uh, but the pre-orders help us a lot, especially on iTunes, because it helps it to chart when we hit and then the streamers see it it really elevates the message of the film so that's you know one thing that your audience could do to help us yeah god bless you both and you know i would say good luck with the film but it's not luck it's well deserved mm -hmm. and just keep going and keep you know teaching educating and i believe there's going to be success down the road god bless you both and uh catch you next time hopefully when this film keeps spreading everywhere and I'll interview you again. Okay. So, awesome. Sounds like a plan. Thank care. you Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Our date dates November the 12th, uh, 2013. The time now is approximately 7, 28 in the morning. Investigator R.D. Vile President is Detective Joe Phillips with uh, Virginia Beach Police. Do you remember that time period? Yes. Can you start to tell the jury what happened? I had, like, a friend request from this Steve Crofton guy. Prior to that date, had you ever had contact with a Steve Crofton? No. For the first time in history, we're letting strangers interact with our kids in the back of our car, in their bedrooms, in their homes. That online environment has just created this access to children that was never there before. Physiologically, they don't understand who is out there and what people are capable of. It's been called a new form of sexual assault, online sextortion. For 
for HSI, the increase that we've seen is definitely sextortion. Sextortion is probably the fastest growing crime in the world. That's right, sextortion attempts are skyrocketing. You know, we see cases come in for children as young as eight years old, nine years old. We're talking elementary school children. As a, a predator, you can actually create an online profile that matches the preferences of that child. He got information from our chats through my computer, information about my mom, about my sister. He had Google images of my home. From 16 years ago to today, there is no mold. Anybody from any walk of life could be involved in this. I mean, we've had doctors and police and clergy. Simply the fact of who the offender was was very shocking in this case. We intercepted a letter that he wrote to the Chinese embassy in Washington. If they would break him out, he would give them all the information on the F-18. When you talk to me, please don't lie to me. You're a grown man, you're an officer of the Navy. These grown men are going after these young girls and they try to kill them. Might not be in their attention, but they're killing them. And we have to stop it. I, I would literally do anything to, to save one. There's so many kids out there that need saving that there's just not enough of us to do it.